Uncommon Commons is a horror anthology podcast written by George Plank and Alex Vitale. Content warnings can be found in the episode description. Today's story is Tarnish, written by Alex Vitale. Their mouths have teeth that outnumber the stars And they are just like razor blades And in they bite down upon you It's already too late Oh my god, please, I will do anything Just stop This has been going on forever Sorry, Jane, I just can't stop singing It's all just stuck in my head And I'm gone blank as a slate Oh, oh you most certainly can Perfect! Now you can chew on your story for a bit, really think about it. And in the meantime... The attic had been an utter mess when Ellis had first climbed up into it. It wasn't a whole lot cleaner now, if they were being honest with themselves. They'd gone through about two and a half boxes, and all they had to show for it was a bag full of broken Christmas decorations. One particular corner of the attic had been neglected due to the unreasonably large spider that had taken up residency there. Now, Alice was finishing up bagging an old Valentine's Day teddy bear that had been covered in mouse droppings. They tried not to gag as they nodded off the garbage bag. As they moved the now-empty box aside in favor of finding a new one, they came face to face with a new adversary. A large steamer trunk was tucked behind the rest of the cardboard boxes. It wasn't something Alice had ever seen before. It must have been up here long before they'd been born. By the looks of it, it may have come with the house. With some difficulty, Alice dragged it out from behind the other boxes, sending a few harvest men skittering across the floor. The setting sun from outside cast a little golden light onto the box, enough for Alice to make out some details. It was covered in dust and cobwebs, so much so that they hesitated to touch it for fear of finding yet another spider's nest. It was leather-bound and, despite its age, well-made. At least well-made to the discerning eye of a fourteen-year-old. Its hinges were rusty, and the stitching along the corners had popped and pulled in some areas. Alice bent forward and blew off some dust, sending a cloud billowing around themselves. The name Hazel was scrawled in swirling script on top of the lid. "'Hey, Dad?' they called down the ladder. They were met with a gruff grunt and the sound of a middle-aged man hitting his head on top of a cupboard. "'Ow! Yeah, what is it, Al? What do I do with this old trunk up here? Do we keep it?' There was a pause, and before long, Alice's dad poked his head up through the trap door. What trunk? Oh. He paused for a moment, as if to think it over. Just leave it there. I'll take care of it. Who's Hazel? Was this Mom's? Alice rocked back into a squat. No, uh, Hazel was my great-aunt. Your grand left it with us after she passed. Leave it for now. I'll take care of it later. Uh, hand me those bags, will you? I'll toss them out. He took the garbage bags from Alice as they handed them over. You're doing a bang-up job. I'd say you'll be done by, oh, next Christmas. With that, he ducked back downstairs and left Alice to their work. As soon as their father was out of sight, Alice made prompt work of directly ignoring his instructions. The steamer trunk wasn't locked, though it did take some elbow grease to pop it open. The leather edges stuck together, and it took a good amount of pulling before the lid separated with a satisfying pop. Alice half expected another plume of dust to burst forth, but aside from an almost overwhelming smell of must, nothing emerged. They peered inside, 
reaching in with gloved hands to expect their newfound quarry. The contents of the chest were underwhelming. Whoever Hazel had been, she didn't seem to have much to hide in her hope chest. There were some old, crumbling pieces of clothing and a few seemingly handmade doilies. An embroidery hoop sat buried under a dress, a piece of art half-finished within. Clearly, the project had been abandoned by a child, a child with shoddy workmanship at that. There were some individual Polaroids strewn about as well, though they were of such poor and old quality that the subjects had long since faded away. After a few minutes, the chunk had been thoroughly emptied and explored. There lay only one item at the very bottom of the chest, a small hand mirror. Alice reached in and retrieved it by the handle, flipping it over in their hands. Despite the obvious signs of age on everything else, the mirror was clearly even more antique. Alice couldn't tell what kind of metal the frame was made from, but it was intricately carved and heavily worn. Embellished at the center of the back of the mirror was an emblem bearing the initials H.T. The front of the mirror wasn't in much better shape. The glass was dirty and the silver severely tarnished. Alice could barely make out their own reflection in it. They glowered at it, squinting at themselves in the light of the setting sun. As they shifted the mirror from side to side, trying to get a better angle, their shadowy reflection warped with antique silver. Tipping it back almost made it seem as though their reflection blinked at them. Just as they were trying to replicate that trick, the chime of the doorbell echoed through the house. Alice quickly began to stuff everything back into the chest, not nearly as neatly as they found it. When their hand fell upon the mirror again, though, they hesitated. Al, food's here. You can finish tomorrow, their father called up the stairs. In a split-second decision, they pocketed the mirror inside their hoodie and shut the chest. They could, Alice reasoned, always put it back where they found it tomorrow. For now, though, they wanted a chance to look at it in better lighting. Something about the mirror spoke to them, called to them. Besides, it was technically a family heirloom. Alice had a right to it. They clambered down the ladder and deposited the mirror on their bed. As it landed right side up, it teetered, and the reflection disappeared momentarily into blackness. The little mirror settled into place on the bed, and the view of the room returned to the glass. It didn't seem like a trick of the light, but Alice had more important things to worry about now, namely, dinner. The Sinclair family dined on Ambrosia that night, which is to say that they ordered takeaway from the divey little Chinese place on the end of Oakland Avenue. Conversation was less than interesting, as Alice's father was mainly intent on telling them about their new school. He bragged, too, that the new house would have a pool. Alice reasoned that that was decently cool, though they would have much rather had a mom than a pool. Still, their dad was doing his best to keep spirits up. This wasn't easy for either of them. Chit-chat sputtered out after a while, and Alice busied themselves by seeing how many pieces of crab rangoon they could eat in a minute. After a brief silence, they swallowed a particularly large chunk of food and asked, So, who exactly was Hazel? Their father didn't seem to be keen on bringing up the topic again. I told you she was my great aunt, your Graham's younger sister. Did you ever meet her? Alice asked, taking another piece of rangoon and drowning it in sauce. No, she disappeared long before I was born, long before my mom was born, when they were still kids. No one knows what happened. No one ever talked about it. Spooky. I told you, I'll take care of the old trunk later. Don't worry about it, okay? We'll probably just end up donating whatever's in there. With that, the rest of dinner was spent with minimal conversation about moving procedures. Alice helped clean up the dishes and store the leftovers, and then retreated to their room. The mirror was waiting for them where they left it. Kicking off their boots, they hopped up on the bed and curled cross-legged near the edge, grabbing the mirror. The room wasn't much better lit than the attic, but at least the bedside lamp offered more direct lighting than a sunbeam. Alice traced their fingers over the filigree of the metal, following each dip and shallow curve. They weren't certain what year Hazel would have been born in, 
but this mirror did seem a lot older than three generations. The metal plating wasn't even shiny anymore. Flipping it back over, they were met with the same dilemma that they'd been hit with back in the attic. They could barely see their own reflection. The mirror was dim and faded, and only the vaguest shape of Ellis's features could be made out. The only thing turning the mirror in different directions did was reveal two long, thin cracks in the glass. Running the flats of their fingers over them, Ellis realized that the cracks seemed to be on the inside of the pane. The grooves of their fingerprints didn't catch when Ellis traced them, and neither did their nails. They let the mirror fall back into their lap, starting to grow bored with it. They loomed over it, peering down at the glass. Their reflection did not stare back. Bewildered, bewildered, Ellis snatched the mirror in hand again and held it up to the light. Their reflection once again met their gaze from the other side of the tarnished silver. Breathing a sigh of relief, they took a moment to fix their hair. Their mirror image copied them. Over the reflection's shoulder, standing on the other side of Ellis's bed, a shadow shifted against the background. It lurched forward, reaching a deformed arm out towards the reflection's back. With a shriek, Ellis flung the mirror to the floor. It landed on its edge, sending a long, splintering crack up the pane of glass. Over Ellis's shoulder, a long, crooked shadow fell across the floor. Ellis's father heard them scream from downstairs. He called up from the steps. Hey, kiddo, you all get up there? There was no response. He mounted the stairs, making his way to the second floor landing. El? Everything okay, sweetheart? Still, he was met with silence. The door to Ellis's room stood ajar. Dim, twinkling light from their LEDs leaked from within. Their father moved closer, pushing the door open with his foot as he gave a haphazard knock. Ellis? The room stood empty. No sign of Ellis was present, aside from their phone on the bedside table. The only thing out of the ordinary was a small, silver-plated hand mirror that lay face down on the floor. It was old and tarnished, with intricate design inlaid in the metal. Had Ellis's father noticed it, or bothered to pick it up, he would have found three long cracks on the inside of the glass. As it lay, though, only the metal backing could be seen. Swirling filigree twisted towards the center of the labyrinth of curves, culminating in a round crest at the very center. The embossed metal bore a simple message, the initials E. Was that supposed to be comprehensible? <laughs> I said it's a good thing our mirrors don't work. Oh, yeah, I guess it is. Though I have noticed a few cracks on the one on the second floor. There's a mirror on the second floor? Yeah, the one down the dark hallway behind the false door that you can only open if you knock three times on the hollow part of the western wall. I've just been walking through that. How do you know that's the western wall? I don't. Oh. Well, the only cracked mirror I know is on the 17th floor, but it's the one at the end of the ventilation shaft. Oh, yeah! The one that shows you the reflections of your deepest fears! That's the one! Don't go there unless you're prepared to hear the sound of a million tortured souls crying out for you to help them. David! They cry, and I keep telling them that my name's not David, but do they listen? No, they just keep crying out, David! Over and over again. I don't make it a habit of crawling into the ventilation shaft. The voices keep telling me to crawl into the fans. Hey, speaking of creepy voices, you're not singing anymore. Gosh darn it, not again! They know where you are and they are finding you. No void can hide your scent from them because they already are en route, John and Jane. Uncommon Commons is a podcast. It is written and recorded by Alex Vitale and George Plank. Our theme song was written by Charles Adam Robinson. 
our logo was designed by Sam Vitali Kaufman. Special thanks to our EA, Rebecca Tewksbury. You can find us on Twitter at un underscore commons and on Instagram at uncommon underscore commons. Or email us directly at zeronullstreet at gmail.com. Stay. And remember, nothing is real.